One of my favorite stories about patience is a kindergarten teacher that was helping one of her students put on his boots one winter as they were getting ready to leave school, and he had asked for some help, and so she was trying to help him, and he was pulling, she was pushing, the boots had a hard time going on his little feet, and when the second boot was finally on and she had almost worked up a sweat, she almost whimpered when the little voice said, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. And she looked, and sure enough, they put them on the wrong feet, and it wasn't much easier to get them pulled off, and, but they finally got them pulled off, and she kept her cool then, and she got them on the right feet this time, and then he announced, you know what, teacher, these aren't my boots. Well, she bit her tongue, and uh, she wanted to scream, but she didn't, and Wanted to say, why didn't you tell me in the first place? She didn't. Anyway, she helped him get the boots off. Once she got the boots off, then he announced, these are my little brother's boots. My mom made me wear them today. <laughs> well, she didn't know where to laugh or cry. And so she wrestled with him once again to get the boots on. And once they finally got them on, then she started looking around. She said, where are your mittens? And he said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. <laughs> Well, it takes a lot of patience to be a kindergarten teacher, I suppose to be a parent or deal with children, but you know, it takes a lot of patience in life to deal with some of the challenges and problems that we face from time to time. As we look at our theme this year, Love More and Give More, we've been looking at the idea of love the more excellent way and looking at different aspects of it. This morning, we want to look at the theme, Love is Patient. I'm sure you have noticed I've not necessarily been following these characteristics in the order of 1 Corinthians 13, because in reality here, that is the first one in verse 4. The New King James Version says that love suffers long. One version says love is long-suffering. The English Standard Version simply renders this, and I think correctly so, that love is patient. So that's what we want to talk about a few minutes this morning about love and talk about how love is patient. Let me join with Tim and welcome each one. We have several guests as I look over the auditorium. We recognize you and we're glad to have you in our number. And we hope that you'll come back and be with us on other occasions as you have opportunity. I hope you took a moment to fill out a welcome card. If you didn't, please do that and leave that with us. And if there's any way that we can serve you or any way that we can help you in your quest to draw closer to God, it would certainly be our pleasure to be able to do that. I think as we look at this topic this morning, about love being patient, that we think about what patience is, but we also realize that it's difficult. And I want us to think a few minutes about why is it so difficult to be patient and then spend the rest of our time talking about how that we can develop patience. This word defined is from a Greek word that literally means long-tempered. And Mr. Vine says it means to be patient and forbearing, slow to avenge wrongs. He goes on and says that long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. The idea of being long-tempered or love being long-suffering is the very opposite of a person that is 
quick to fly off the handle or to be easily angered. The word provoked is it's used in the text here that love is not easily provoked means to be easily angered. It has the idea to make sharp or to sharpen or to stimulate or spur on or to irritate or to rouse to anger. Patience is difficult because it is so easily for us to get angry or to be aroused from anger from time to time. And why is this? Well, patience goes against human nature. I sometimes think that we are born impatient. You know, in case you haven't heard, we have a new grandbaby. I guess everybody's heard that, haven't they? Well, you know, something I've noticed about this little little grandbaby that when she is hungry, she cries, and she wants to be fed, and that's about every two hours. And when she's wet, she cries. And it doesn't make any difference if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't make any difference if it wakes up Mommy or even Papa. It doesn't make, she's not worried about that because she has needs that are attended to, and we understand that when it comes to a, a baby. As we get a little bit older, you know, we try to teach our children patience. But have you ever traveled a long distance with, with a child? And they keep asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they, they lack the patience to understand that. Kind of like the four-year-old boy, and he was traveling with his mother. And he kept asking, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And finally, her mother said, listen. We've still got another 90 miles to go. And she scolded him and said, if you know what's good for me, you won't ask me again till we get there. Well, the little boy saw she meant business, and he was silent for a long time. And finally, he couldn't hold it in any longer, so he thought of it this way. He said, Mom, will I still be four when we get there? <laughs> well... There, you know, that's just the way human nature is. Children are impatient. Hopefully, as we get a little bit older, we grow out of that. But I, I think, and maybe some of it is personality-driven, as some people tend to be more patient. And I admit that that's one of my areas of weakness I've got to work on. We were coming home yesterday. And we want to be home in time for the graduation. I would like to have stayed a little bit longer, but, you know, we had commitments. We need to be here. So I announced we need to leave Lafayette by 9, no later than 9.30. Well, we left at 9.27, which, okay, this, this is good. And there's no traffic problems. We're good. And so we're, we're going down the road, you know, and everything is going fine. And I'm, I'm, I'm patient about it. And I said to my wife after a couple hours down the road about where you would like to eat some lunch. She said, how about a Cracker Barrel breakfast? I said, a Cracker Barrel breakfast? We don't have time for that. I mean, you, you know, something could happen. You could go in there, and that could be an hour. And then we get, no, I said, today we're going to stop, and we're going to make one of those stops where I'm going to find a fast food place right next door to a gas station. And I'm going to get gas, and we don't have to gas up anymore. You go over and get our food and bring it, and then we'll be on our way, and we'll eat in a car. And then very lovingly, I said, are you good with that? 
And my wife said very kind of, yes, I'm good with that. Well, that went pretty good, except I went into the gas station to go to the restroom, and guess what? They were cleaning the restrooms. And they said, sir, it'd be just a minute. And I said, a minute? Okay. And so now I'm, I'm pacing in front of the restaurant. I'm pacing. And the gal's in there cleaning the men's room. Finally, she said to me, sir, why don't you go in the women's room? It's cleaned. I said, okay. I was impatient. Later in the afternoon, things are going great. We got time for our afternoon coffee at McDonald's. And guess what? This gal, we used to have, my mom used to have an expression, she was raised in Kentucky, that person works like dead lice has fallen off of them. Now, I don't know if you ever, I don't know where that expression came from, but that means they're slow. They're slow. And so the gal at McDonald's was slow. And I finally got up there, and they didn't have any fresh coffee, and she had to make some coffee, and she said it would be two minutes. I said, okay. It was five minutes. I probably should be telling. I'm just telling you, it's hard sometimes to want to be patient. You've got to work at it. You've got to work at that quality. It, it just goes against human nature. And it's really contrary to our culture. I mean, we live in a fast-track fast track culture. We live in a rat race, and we expect everything. We expect fast food to be fast. We have 10-minute express lunches, 15-minute oil changes. We have microwave ovens. There's even a church in Florida that advertises 22-minute services, and the sermon is only eight minutes. Don't get your hopes up here, folks. That's not happening. Okay? But that's the kind of culture that we live in. That's because people are impatient. They're, they're in a hurry. And I think sometimes we think that impatience is a virtue. I've heard people say, well, I may be impatient, but I'll tell you what, I get things done. Or the type A personality, that hard-charging kind of an individual. You know, the Bible has some things to say about all of this. Proverbs 14 and verse 9 says, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. And as I think about that, I don't want to display folly. I want to be the patient person. I want to be a person of understanding. And so, I, But I've got to work at that sometimes to do that. Or how about Proverbs 15 and verse 18? A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. You see people that are impatient, they're easily angered, they stir things up, they cause dissension. That a person that has patience is a person that's able to calm things down. And not only that, patience is difficult because the weeds of pride and selfishness and anger choke out the fruit of patience. You know, patience is the fruit of the Spirit. That's one of the things in Galatians chapter 5 that Paul talks about. There's the fruit of the Spirit. And so when we have the Spirit and we're walking in the Spirit, we're not walking according to the flesh, then we develop patience. We have become an angry, impatient nation. Road rage and work rage and domestic abuse and school shootings and, and people who become upset over some trivial slight that make them angry. And in their anger and impatience, they seek some kind of revenge. 
The works of the flesh, Paul said in that text of Galatians 5, are things like contention and outbirth of wrath and selfish ambition. And that's going to be the result of when we are impatient. The Bible says love is patient. Let's take the rest of our time and talk about how we can develop that. And I just list this as seven keys to controlling your emotions. And that will help you develop patience. Number one, resolve to do so. Just resolve to manage your emotions. I need to quit saying I can't help it. I'm only human. That's just the way I am. I'm not naturally a patient person. Well, the Bible says love is patient. Now, do we not have the power to choose? Didn't God make us creatures of choice? And if God gives us a command, and the command is to be patient, to be long-suffering, and that's walking in the Spirit, and that's demonstrating love, do I not have the ability to develop that and to become more what God would have me to be? And so, therefore, I need to resolve. I need to choose to manage my emotions. Secondly, I need to realize the cost of anger. The wise man said in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 22, a hot-tempered man starts fights and gives it all kinds of trouble. And that's the case. He gets in all kinds of, A person that is impatient and loses their temper gets in all kinds of trouble, and not necessarily just with other people and starting fights. I have a friend that preaches... And this happened years ago to him when he was a younger man. I think he has learned to control his temper better. But he was a very emotional kind of individual and would get angry at things. It angered himself. He was actually leaving with his family to go on a gospel meeting and was running late. He ran out of the house and he went to get in the car and he forgot his keys, pulled the door behind him, and he locked the keys in the house. Couldn't find a window open. Tried to jiggle the door. Kidding at home. And in his anger, punched the glass. Ended up going to the hospital. And I don't know what it is. Whatever artery it is there, Stu. It was a bad cut. Almost bled to death. Didn't have insurance. And $20,000 later in hospital bills. Recovered from that. Now, you think about that. The cost of anger. There was a big cost to that fellow, wasn't there, for anger. Not just a financial cost, but cost in other ways. We need to realize the seriousness of our anger and learn to be patient. Number three, we control our emotions by reflecting and responding instead of reacting. Responding is not bad. Reacting may be. And James 1 and verse 19, James says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, there are three things here. If you do the first two, the third's going to be automatic. Our tendency so many times, though, is to be slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to become angry. But love is patient. And so love listens. Love is slow to speak. Love is slow to become angry. Love is patient. Reflect and respond instead of reacting. It's Thomas Jefferson that 
said one time that when you're angry, count to ten. And then the great patriot added this. He said, when you're very angry, count to 100. And so if you've got a real problem with your anger and in being patient, maybe you need to follow his advice and count a little farther than 10. Love is patient. And we learn to control our emotions by releasing our anger appropriately. I've heard sometimes, I've even heard preachers say this, that anger is a sin. You know, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the psalmist said that God is angry with the wicked every day. And Jesus went into the temple and saw that they'd made his father's house a house of merchandise, and he overthrew the, the tables of the, of the money changers, and he made whips, and he swung them around. I don't think he hit the people. didn't say that. But he drove them out and released the animals. Jesus was white hot. He was angry at what they were doing. Anger is not a sin. Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 25, be angry, but sin not. And so it is possible to be angry, but not sin in our anger. And that's releasing our anger appropriately. And so how do you do that? Well, don't repress your anger. Don't stuff it inside of you. You know, sometimes people do this and, and they, they're angry about something and they're really upset about it, but they just swallow hard, and they try to repress it. Sometimes uh, females are a little bit more guilty of this than the, the men are. Men a lot of times tend to be more verbal, you know, kind of like the husband that does something and makes his wife mad. He leaves for work. This is just a stereotypical example now. I'm not accusing this of any of you ladies. But he comes back home from work, and she's in the kitchen fixing supper. Remember, I said it was just an example, okay? And he comes in behind her and gives her a little hug, you know, from behind. like we, And she gives him one of those. Oh, you ladies are smiling. You know what that is, don't you? You know, when you're not happy about something, you can't stiffen up. Very perceptive, he said, uh, is anything wrong, dear? And she goes, oh, no. Not a thing. Why would anything be wrong? And just stuffs it inside her. And maybe doesn't tell him for, for days or weeks or months. Or it comes out six months later in a counseling session. You remember when you did such and such? That really made me mad. Well, that's not the way that you handle, handle anger. In fact, you know what that turns into? It turns into bitterness. And Hebrews twelve fifteen says bitterness is a sin. And so when you repress your anger and it turns into bitterness, then you've sinned. Well, some people just suppress it. They ignore it. They pretend it doesn't exist. They just try to merrily go on their way and not let it bother them. Well, that, that's not going to work either if you just suppress it. In fact, you know what you're doing? You're actually deceiving yourselves. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, be not deceived. And so when you just try to suppress it and just pretend like everything's okay, you are engaged in self-deception. Thirdly, don't express it inappropriately. Ephesians 4.31 talks about anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking. Imagine if the truth was known that there would be many of us to be would be embarrassed for our fellow brothers and sisters to know how inappropriately we may express our anger in our homes sometimes. 
great damage has been done and feelings hurt and relationships ruptured because of an inappropriate way to express anger. The anger is not wrong. And you may have just cause to be angry at your spouse or your children or your parents. But when it goes into wrath and clamor and evil speaking, in fact, that word in Ephesians 4.31, evil speaking means putrid. It means defiling kind of speech, vulgar speech. When it goes into that sort of thing, that's the wrong way to express our anger. Someone said that when you speak when you're angry, you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. And that's just about right. But do confess it. Deal with it. Admit it. Admit it to yourself. Admit it to God. Admit it to other people. And to deal with it appropriately. Number five, we need to learn to reprogram our minds. You know, Jesus said the truth will set you free. And I, I recognize in that text that he's talking about the truth of God's word that will free us from the shackles of sin and from guilt. But, you know, when we deal with these emotional problems and issues that keep us from being patient, then we're enslaved to something. We're enslaved to emotions. We're enslaved to anger. And to become a loving, patient person comes about when we learn to face the truth about ourselves. In Romans chapter 12 and in verses 1 and 2, Paul says not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The renewing of your mind, the reprogramming of your mind to seek change, to seek transformation. You see, the way that you think determines how you feel. And the way that you feel determines how you act. And so to change your actions and thus change your feelings, you have to change your thinking. You have to reprogram your mind to be able to think upon the right things. And so Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4 and in verse 8 to think on things that are true and honest and just and lovely and pure and good report and virtuous and praiseworthy. Reprogram your mind someone put it this way patience is not the ability to wait patience is the ability to keep a good attitude while you're waiting that involves reprogramming your mind a sixth thing that can help you in that to grow in that is to relate to a patient people the wise man said in proverbs chapter 22 in verse 24 do not make friends with a hot-tempered man nor associate with one easily angered or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. That's similar not to associate with, with evil companions in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. And so instead of associating with people like that, associate with people that are patient people. Learn from patient people. Learn from people that can role model a good attitude and proper anger management and patience as they deal with problems. And then I would say rely upon Christ. For help in Romans chapter 15 and verses 5 and 6 Paul prayed for these brethren and said may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus 
Now think about that passage for just a second. Sometimes we read over these doxologies at the end of chapters or books. That's a powerful passage. May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded, to be patient, to find comfort and divine consolation, to be like-minded toward one another, toward your brothers and sisters in Christ, in your relationships, and how according to Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 5. And then Paul would say in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know that you can. You can do all things through Christ that gives you the strength to be able to overcome whatever fault, whatever habit, whatever challenge, whatever sin issue may be reigning your emotions. Rely on Christ for help. Love is patient. Love learns to control its emotions. If you're using a hymn book, you can turn to the number that's been suggested. As we think about the invitation that God has for us to come to him, it's not just an invitation that has to do with primary obedience, but is it not an invitation to be conformed to his image, to walk in his footsteps, to be like him, and Jesus certainly was patient with people, wasn't he, as he dealt with them? Certainly we see the Father is patient, that God is long-suffering toward us. God is a God of patience, the God of patience. And God wants us to be patient. As I thought about this lesson, I wanted to just write a few words about what it means to be patient and to have love. And I wrote these. Love is patient. It is the husband that calmly waits for his wife to get ready instead of pacing the floor or getting in the car and honking the horn. Love is patient. It's the wife who's forbearing of her husband's forgetfulness and his sometimes irritating habits. Love is patient. It's the parent who's easygoing with a child who's not so easy to raise. Love is patient. It's the preacher who's persistent to preach truth and love even when some folks do not seem to appreciate it. Love is patient. It's the pastor who's gentle and understanding with the weak member. Love is patient while waiting in the line at McDonald's, dealing with careless drivers on the highway, or listening to the boring story of a co-worker. Love is patient because God is love, and God is patient, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. You know, if we really get inside ourselves in the inner recesses of our hearts and admit our faults and our shortcomings and sometimes our impatience with other people, do we not have to stand back and to realize that we serve a God who is incredibly patient with us, who puts up with our failings and our foibles and our feeble efforts sometimes to serve him, and that God gives us time to repent, provides opportunity. And you know, today may be one of those opportunities. 
It may be that you're in the audience this morning and a person that has dealt with others in such a way that's not only embarrassed yourself, but a lot of other people in the Lord's family, and you need to make some correction for that even in a public way. And let us lift you in prayer before the throne of God. God's been patient with you, give you time to repent. It may be there's things in your life of just a, a private nature that you look at and you or find yourself convicted this morning as we think about these truths from God's Word. And maybe as we sing in just a moment, you just say a little prayer as we stand there and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me do better. Help me love more. Give more. Be patient. Be more like you. Give me the strength to do better. I wonder, is there one here this morning that's not a Christian? That has never through faith, repentance, and baptism had their sins washed away by the blood of Jesus? And maybe you've heard countless sermons. Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you've been drugged here by somebody. You ever stop and think that God is patient with you and has given you one more opportunity to come to a worship service, to be with his people, to hear the gospel, and to hear an invitation song that invites you to come into relationship with him and not to leave here saying, you know, one day I'm going to be a Christian. One day God's patience will come to an end. You see, because this world will come to an end and then we will stand in judgment. And so I challenge you and I challenge myself, don't test the patience of God. Respond to him in love because he loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. Will you come as we stand while we sing?